Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to the Showing Up to Life podcast and YouTube channel. My name is Art Burns, and I'm happy to be here with you right now. I'm really happy to be here. Now, normally I use the word excited, and, and that's normally very, very true. And, and there's an interesting sort of... Um, uh, play between the concept of excited and the concept of enthusiastic, right? And I always have the enthusiasm, but I don't always possess the excitement, right? Because enthusiasm is like an intention, right? It's like, okay, I am committed to knowing what this is, to, to doing this thing, to, to, you know, I'm excited. Well, again, there's that word. I'm not necessarily excited, but uh, I'm enthused by it. I'm drawn to it, right? And this is something that I can cultivate as an intention, right? Excitement, however, is something that is a nervous system response, right? And so that's not necessarily what I'm always feeling in any given moment of even if I'm doing something I'm very enthusiastic about, right? Because there's different things that can affect our excitement level. <laughs> For one thing is sleep. <laughs> and sleep happens to be something that I got almost zero, <laughs> none of last night. And so therefore, it's it's hard for me necessarily to, to you know, sort of, um, you know, conjure up this excitement, although I'm feeling it as I'm talking, right? It's starting to build as I'm talking. And the caffeine doesn't hurt, of course. Um, but but, but again, it's, it doesn't have to necessarily be excitement is my point, right? The point is that sometimes we have to do things or, or we're, we're you know, committed to doing things and we, we want to do things that we don't necessarily want to do in the moment, right? So for instance, it would have been very comfortable for me right now to say, you know what? It's been a really, you know, I, I, I was really hard, like didn't sleep last night at all. And it'll be really, you know, sort of available to me to say, you know what, I'm going to take the rest of the afternoon. I'm going to try to chill out. I have another appointment a little later. I'm going to try to relax and get some rest, maybe, you know, have some tea, but not overdo the caffeine and try to sort of feel my way into this, you know, this experience that I'm having, right? And, and that would be perfectly understandable, Right. And it would also it's also very important to recognize that that it's OK to do the, the podcast without that excitement. You see, so it's like there's excitement in the podcast here and there's blowing the podcast off because I'm so tired here. The, the feeling there is this, and I'm holding my two hands up just for all of you on the on the uh, the po the podcast. You're not missing anything. I'm just holding one hand is, uh, you know, this is excitement. And the other hand is this is my commitment to do the podcast, right? Or, or I'm sorry, this is the left hand is, is me saying I'm not going to do the podcast because I'm not excited to do the podcast. But there's a middle way, right? There's a there's a third way that we can do it. I can do the podcast without the excitement. And inherently, there's nothing wrong with that, right? But again, when we, when we take on this dualistic view of things, I either do a podcast when I'm excited or I don't do a podcast when I'm not excited. Well, that's where it feels like it's impossible that there's this third option, right? But there is a third option. There is a middle way, as the Buddha would call it. And this is true for all of our experiences all the time, right? There's always a way that we can sort of go in between what we see as our dualistic sort of binary view of things.
And so finding that middle way is very much intrinsic and, and really very much the whole thing when it comes to mindfulness, right? Because it's, because the, the duality of that, right? That seeing like I can do the podcast, I'm excited, or I cannot do the podcast, or I must not do the podcast if I'm not excited, that's judgmental, right? That's judging. There's good, there's bad. There's yes, there's no. There's on, there's off. That's judgment. Whereas a non-judging awareness, which is what we practice in mindfulness, is to find that middle way, is to find that, that sense of, okay, it, I'm not restricted to those two options. There's another option, which I can do the podcast without that excitement. You see that? I hope that makes sense to y'all because, again, this is the same concept that we can apply to every circumstance in our lives. And it's really very much the same way, that, that when we see ourselves as a place, as, as seeing nothing in front of us except the options of, you know, this thing or that thing, right? Mindfulness is, is where we say, okay, hold on a second. What am I not seeing here? What is this delusion of, of these only these two choices that's happening here? And as I practice looking for those, that middle way, looking for that, that, that place in between these two things, in between this polarity, this dualistic, you know, uh, digital kind of look and, and seeing things, that's the practice of mindfulness, is looking for it, is dwelling in it, is just allowing it to be. That's what mindfulness is. And that's where we talk about equanimity, which I talked about the other day, I think, at least I did on my, on my TikTok video. I don't know. I'm starting to lose track of what's who and who's what. But, um, but I think I talked about equanimity here the other day as well. Equanimity is nothing more than, than just meeting each moment. Equanimity in the context of what I'm talking about is nothing more than, than just meeting each moment with the sameness, right? With the same openness, with the same non-judging awareness, with the same kindness, with the same compassion, with the same empathy. It's meeting it all in that same way. And the equanimity comes from practicing non-judging awareness. Because the, the, the absence of the judgment is the equanimity. Now, again, we can also achieve equanimity by the practice of loving kindness, right? Because if you meet each moment and each circumstance and each person with this kindness, you know, sort of preceding you, well, then that becomes your equanimity. You're meeting each circumstance in the same way, which is with this, this energy of loving kindness. You see that? And so this is how we practice it. We just, you know, you can choose one or the other, or you can do both like I do. And you practice loving kindness within mindfulness and mindfulness within loving kindness. And pretty soon, though, that's what becomes your equanimity is the, the practice itself. Right. And that brings me to what I wanted to talk about today, which is, you know, sorry, I, I feel like a lot of times as a reporter would say, I, I, I bury the lead here, you know, um, where I don't really get to the point very quickly. So pardon me for that. Uh, but I know all of you forgive me. I know you love me anyway. Um, but 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 what I wanted to talk about here is this, you know, the process by which we get to that point. 
right? Because in a lot of ways, you know, it's, it's very simple for us. Again, in our dualistic thinking, right, is that we say, okay, I'm going to practice mindfulness now. I'm going to be more aware of what's going on. I'm not going to judge things. Like we expect that to just now happen. <laughs> we expect that, okay, now that I've said I'm going to do it, now I'm going to do it, right? Now, unfortunately, there's no pill we can take to make this happen, right? So it's not as easy as just deciding to do it, you know, making a doctor's appointment, getting a prescription and taking the prescription, which is the case with a lot of things that we do decide to change, right? And, and this also goes for things like diets and stuff like that, right? And, and I think that this point that I'm about to make is why most diets don't work, right? Because we look at the diet as just like, okay, from today, I'm just going to start eating this new way, right? And what that fails to address is all the work we've put into getting to how we are today. And, and when I work with people with mindfulness, this is one of the most important things that we can, what we can recognize, especially in the beginning of the process, right? Because again, it ain't going to work the way that we think it's going to work a lot of times, right? It's not just snapping our fingers and, you know, okay, now I'm mindful, right? And that's, uh, and, and as you probably recall, I mean, this is the way I approached mindfulness in the very beginning. I was just reading these books and I said, oh my gosh, I can just be present. I can just let go of stuff. I can just accept everything. This is easy. I got this. No problem. And for a while, because of the place in which I was in my life, I was really primed for this kind of thing. And, and the circumstances in my life I had a little more control of. I think I was like, you know, kind of moving away from my bagel shop at that point. I was almost, you know, a few months away from selling the thing and stuff like that. And so I was, my, my life was open to this sort of thing, right? So, so that's why I think just reading the books was so impactful for me for like six months because it was. I mean, people were coming up to me and be like, dude, dude, what are you doing, man? Like you are a different person here. Now, it's very important to recognize that I had also, you know, become sober. I had lost 100 pounds. I had adopted a vegan, a strict plant-based diet. Um, you know, so a number of other things had already changed. That's what I say. Like, I think I was just primed for this in a way, right? And so, so don't, don't use me as your example because my situation was very peculiar, very unusual, right? But but the point that I'm trying to make, right, is that is that, you know, I can say that from now on, I'm going to be accepting, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go on this diet, I'm going to eat this certain way from now on. And this was true for my veganism, right? When I said, okay, I'm going to not eat dairy anymore, right? It was a decision I made, right? But the, the thing is that we put this like pressure on ourselves, we put, uh, you know, we impose an expectation on ourselves that it's like, okay, I'm just going to do this thing and it's just going to change right away. And that's all that I have to worry about. Right. And again, what I think is missing from this sort of point of view is what got us to this point in the first place. Right. Because a lot of times, and this is also true with, with dieting, but especially with mindfulness, you know, we're going to start practicing mindfulness today. Right. Okay. So today we're going to start doing this thing. Right. That that statement in and of itself, you know, makes us believe, has, you know, carries a, a sort of uh, implication that that, okay, we're going to start doing this thing because we've never been doing anything before. Right. That they were just stepping into this void of our of our behavior, of our psychology, and we're going to just start doing this new thing. 
right? And so, so again, maybe it's easy to relate it back to dieting, right? Which is to say that, yes, dieting is going to be hard, and we can accept that. And, and yes, mindfulness practices become hard too. Yes, forgiveness becomes hard. Yes, compassion becomes hard. Because that son of a SOB who, who did that thing to me, I'm not giving him compassion, so yes, there's a, there's a difficulty that comes into this, this practice, right? And, and we can recognize the difficulty. We must recognize the difficulty. But I think it's important to recognize what that difficulty is. And what that difficulty is, in most circumstances, is what we've practiced before. Now, again, it's very easy to say, well, I never practiced anything. I didn't, I wasn't on a diet. I wasn't doing mindfulness. I wasn't doing anything. I was just being me. And so that, that gets us to believe that somehow that just being us in our moment to moment experience means that we're not practicing anything. (laughs) And that's the truth that I think is so important to recognize. And so, so much the, the thing that allows us to persevere through the speed bumps and through the obstacles in changing anything, whether again, it's a diet, uh, giving up coffee, giving up smoking, giving up alcohol, um, you know, becoming more present and mindful, it's all the same, right? Because the truth is that you have been practicing something different your whole life. You're not starting from a void. There is no void. You know, every single moment, every single, you know, biscuit that you've eaten, every single glass of milk you've drank, every single cigarette you've smoked, every single drink you've had, every single judgment that you've made on a situation, every single time that you've been non-compassionate to someone, you've been practicing doing that thing unwittingly, of course, right? Nobody's sitting here saying like, oh yeah, I'm going to practice being, you know, non-compassionate. Like, you know, I I venture to guess there's not a single person, you know, listening to this who was like, you know, who had a teacher come up to them in school and say, okay, now we're going to start learning how not to be compassionate. (laughs) Now we're going to start, you know, learning how to eat poorly, (laughs) right? This isn't something that we're intentionally doing. And so therefore we get the sense that it's not something that exists. And that is the delusion. And that is the important thing to recognize as we step into this process. And again, it is a process of healing, of change, of on whatever level. And again, the important thing that comes into this, right, the important truth that we can, you know, grasp from this whole concept is that it is going to be a process and that that it's it's as much as it's a much as much about unlearning some of the stuff and unpracticing some of the stuff that I've been doing as much as it is about practicing the new thing. Now fortunately if you have a capable mindfulness instructor you don't have to worry about this right because your instructor is going to you know just have you practice the right stuff and we don't have to undo anything we just sort of create the new from this place but again the important thing to recognize is that old habits die hard right and so, so when you've spent your whole life, for me, when I started working on this stuff, I was over 40 years old. And so I had 40 years, four solid decades of practice 
of being short-tempered, of being impatient, of being, you know, wrapped up in my delusion and believing I understood the way things were, right? I had 40 years of this. I got really good at it over those 40 years. And so the point is then, and if I had a mindfulness teacher, I, I didn't, I did it all on my own. But the thing that I take from that experience as I teach others is to remind them that it's going to take time. Now, it's never as much time as you think it is, right? The road is never as long as it looks when you're standing at that first step. And for sure, you will start to feel changes and you will start to, you know, recognize and, and, and actualize improvements in your life along the way. So it's not to say that, you know, if, if a process is going to take like 12 months, for instance, it's not like you're sitting there for 12 months waiting for something to happen. That is not how it works. But it is important to recognize that through that process, there are going to be times where you go right back to the way you were. And you just completely fail at the new thing that you're doing, right? There's going to be times where you eat the pizza. There's going to be times where you drink the, the drink. There's going to be times where you smoke the cigarette. And in those times where you fall down and you, and you drop yourself that way, the most important thing you can do at that moment is to remind yourself of what I'm talking about here. And in doing so, in reminding ourselves that this is hard, this is an uphill battle, as, uh, you know, somebody I heard recently kept calling it uh, a steep and thorny path. And the easiest thing is just stay where you are, right? But that's also often the most damaging thing, the least rewarding thing, Right? And so that's where it's, it's it, now, now the thing that comes here now is, or, or what is most needed when we recognize this, that it's hard, that I'm going to fail, that it's not going to be a bed of roses, that it's going to be at times a steep and thorny path. What that's inviting now is self-compassion. It's inviting my, me, it's inviting me to, to turn to myself and say, Hey, buddy, it's not your fault that this is so hard. You've been, you know, you had all these people around you guiding you in this other direction. They didn't mean it. You didn't mean it. But this is the reality. And this is where you are. You're not, you know, coming out of this, you know, you're not like coming out of the womb as this neutral, you know, you know, no history person. You're, you're coming in this moment that you've decided to make this intention or set this intention rather to make this change. You're doing that from a position that is informed by every single experience you've ever had in your whole life, even and especially the ones you don't even remember. And so it is when I can meet that moment of, you know, like, and it even happens to me today. I mean, forget about me. I mean, even Ram Das talks about this, right? I remember hearing a talk where he, he was talking about, and I think I shared this with you a number of times, 
one more time ain't gonna hurt, right? That 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 Ram Dass was booked to to talk at a at a university, right? And so this young co-ed was showing him around, like, hey, here's where your dressing room is, here's the stage, here's where the soda machine is, and all that kind of stuff, right? And uh, and and Ram Dass always requires a, a boom mic, which is kind of like what you can see on the on the thing here, right? Where there's a a side you know thing coming, so that the stand is off to the side, and the microphone can be right in front of him. In front of his face as he's talking that's the way that he wants it and he walks into this room with a stage and this young woman is showing him around and he sees that it's a, a, a mic stand in front of the chair and here's a guy who's been doing you know literally decades of work on himself literally decades of work on himself and you're talking about meditation for like probably 10 hours a day at certain times in his life I mean, nobody can argue with the amount of work that this guy has put into this this process. And in that moment, <laughs> he lost his temper. He said, I said I wanted the other kind of mic. <laughs> and the poor girl's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it's the only one we had. And, <laughs> and he says in that moment, and this is the important thing, this is exactly the lesson that I'm trying to tell you here today, that in that moment, he laughed at himself. He started just guffaw laughing like, oh my gosh, this is so silly. And what he was laughing at was himself. He was literally, he said, he said, look at me getting entangled in it. Look at me getting all caught up in it. That was a moment of non-mindfulness for him. That was the thing that he's been practicing for 40 years. And so in that moment, he had every invitation to say, oh, Ram Dass, you're so dumb. Oh, Ram Dass, how come you're not better than this? Oh, Ram Dass, aren't you embarrassed that you just showed your, your flaw in front of this young woman who looks up to you and probably thinks you're some kind of deity? Oh, Ram Dass, you are so stupid, X, Y, Z. Right? That's the invitation in that moment. And for most of us, that's what we've been practicing in that moment. We're used to saying, oh, I failed the math test. I'm so stupid. Oh, I, I, I blew the game. I'm such a bad soccer player. Oh, I, I, I failed the test. I am such a bad student. That's what we're used to. That's what we practice unwittingly. We're not sitting there saying, okay, how can I make it really hard for myself to make any changes in my future? That would be intentional. That would be conscious. That's not what's going on. It's very unconscious. It's very unwitting that we've been practicing this our whole lives. And so again, the important thing is take the lesson from Ram Dass, if not from me, but in that moment when we recognize, oh man, I just effed it up. I just didn't do the thing that I've been practicing doing. I mean, you can take Ram Dass's approach and laugh at yourself. Then if that's not what you're feeling, then just, again, self-compassion, right? Tell yourself, remind yourself that you are X years old and you've been practicing the opposite of what you're trying to do for so many years, and because you've been practicing, you got good at it. The old term is that practice makes perfect, but the reality of that, the more accurate way to say it is that practice makes permanent. 
Because I'll tell you from uh, from playing guitar, and, and I did guitar the same way I did mindfulness, which is not taking lessons, just figuring it out on my own. And I developed some really, really bad habits that I got really good at, <laughs> right? Like I couldn't not do these things. I got so good at them, but they were wrong. <laughs> they were not the way to play music. They inhibited my ability to play music, but I got really good at them. So practice, it depends on what you're practicing is my point, right? If you're practicing something that is technically incorrect, then you're going to develop a, a, a non-correct, an incorrect technicality of what you're doing. And so the important thing is, again, to recognize it and turn towards it with compassion, with saying, hey, man, you've been doing this your whole life, and it's okay. It's all right. We're going to get through this. Because again, when we beat ourselves up in that moment, the brain hears that and is like afraid, uh-oh, now I'm not going to do this thing ever. I'm not going to try this thing ever again because of how much it hurts. And in a very real way, that's where it comes back to the, the concept that the mind craves the familiar, the brain, the physical brain craves the familiar, and that's what makes these things hard to change. Because all your life, even though you've been doing you know, this thing that has resulted in a discomfort, this is the thing that you have to heal from, along the way, your brain knows one very important truth about it, is that everything you've done, you have survived. You're still alive. So your brain doesn't care that you're anxious. Your brain doesn't care that you're miserable. Your brain cares that you're alive. And so when you start introducing this new, you know, mindfulness baloney, <laughs> your brain says, no, 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 no. I don't want to do this new thing because I don't know if I'm going to survive it. And so your brain will always try to push you back into your nervous system. It's your whole thing is going to push you back to your old habits because those are the ones that your brain knows are safe, even if they're painful. And that's the concept of that, of the, the, the notion that the mind craves a familiar. It doesn't want to do, I mean, yes, your, your mind wants to have novel experiences, but not when it comes to stuff that's scary or, or like, you know, like dealing with fixing ourselves and stuff like that, right? And that's why it's hard to do a new diet. It's hard to do new processes. It's hard to develop a new way of living because you've been, it's because you're not just starting now. You're working with the context and the habits and everything that you've been doing your whole life up until this moment, cannot tell you how important this is, okay? Because again, in that moment that you realize that you failed, how do you talk to yourself in that failure? Because that is going to be the difference between persevering through this, growing through it, or abandoning it and just going back to the old ways of doing it, all right? I hope this was uh, helpful for you. I hope this was informative. I hope it was uh, pleasant. And you know what? I'm feeling some excitement. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing, right? Is that we engage in something, our nervous systems usually do respond. And that's the thing about mindfulness too, is that I tell you, your brain's going to fight it. But after you get to that point of like four weeks, six weeks in, and, you're, and you start realizing that it's actually been helpful, that's where your brain like switches gears. It's like, drops down into fourth gear and guns it and gives you all the power that you need to take that next step. And that's where it feels really magical. So share, tell me, have you had that moment? Do you feel that, that, that sense of like, oh, rush? 
or does it still feel very, um, you know, hesitant and, and, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, yeah, hesitant. Does it feel like something's blocking you somehow? Let me know. I really would love to hear it. All right. I would love to hear also any thoughts you have of this, any, uh, comparisons to your experience. All right, please. And thank you. All right, everybody, I wish you well. I'll be back in hopefully tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Take care.